Jeremy, thanks for joining us. MedVets, basically what we're doing, we're just, you know, trying to be proactive during this time, of course, right? And really just dive into different elements of various industries and relating it to an healthcare topic or, you know, something that can really transcend to our listeners, patients, physicians, about how to inform patients, educate them on things that we think that are common knowledge that really are, you know? Yeah. And, and to, ex to extend on that, is we have two different perspectives. I kind of go with this is I'm a Gen X, Marcus is a millennial. So we have two different perspectives on things. You know, we came up with this, so like, look, it'd be a good conversation because in our office, we would go back and forth on different topics. And at the end of the day, I'm always right. And so I'm like, you know what, let's kind of go ahead and do a, do a podcast about it. And so, you know, we're both are, you know, I've been in the, in the military. And I know, Jeremy, you were in the Marines, correct? Yes. Why did you go with the Marines? I'm sorry, I'm going to jump into that right now. So. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's, of course, an easy one. As a young high school student, hard charger, definitely just decided to go with uh, the toughest one at the time um, to enlist in the Marine Corps. It was pretty straightforward at that point. Okay. That's pretty. Um, so yeah, so me and Jeremy, we actually met at the Patriot Boot Camp, which is, I, I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty, pretty good program at the time when I went, and I think it still is. Keith was actually supposed to go to the one in San Francisco, uh, February. San Francisco, yeah. And thanks, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate that. Tell us, all right, so you were in the Marines, got out, and then, you know, tell us about how you got, how you got into the medical industry and started Senpai Fitness. Like most physical therapists, we, we usually get hurt first before we become physical therapists, right? Usually some exposure to the profession and the setting as a whole before, you know, a lot of people get interested in that. Um, so just like everybody else, my path to becoming a physical therapist sort of took a, a different route. I was in the Marine Corps when a Humvee rolled over on top of me and fractured my pelvis and severed my femoral artery. So I was pretty... I was pretty banged up at the time, basically was a killer of my enlistment at that time. We did all the subsequent rehabilitation and surgeries as far as that goes. And then, so I was I experienced physical therapy in all different settings from ICU, acute care, a rehab center, outpatient physical therapy. And it, what, to be honest, it wasn't right away that I realized that this is something that I wanted to do as a profession. If anything, I was pretty upset about the whole experience and, you know, I didn't of course, like who would like being banged up like that. But in, once I got to college and I started studying um, kinesiology, I realized like what a great fit this actually would be and how many people could benefit from me being able to provide the same services that I received. Um, so I did all that I could. And now I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Chicago and I'm working in a clinical setting. I'm working on Semper Fitness as well. It's just uh, trying to bring those same services to the online community. How can our listeners get in contact with you about Semper Fitness to get involved with that? So right now you can check out the website. It's just mysemperfitness.com. You can get some general information about some of the programs that we offer. You can reach out, um, contact me at support at mysemperfitness.com with any questions. Right now we're probably just getting some organized with some of the new programs that are rolling out. So if you have any questions or things that we could help you with, feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to address those things and, you know, in exchange for some information from you. I could probably even provide you with some detailed plans of care and things to help you out free of charge. Thank you so, for that. So with your programs and with everybody adapting right now with, you know, the current situations, how 
will this change physical therapy? They're trying to go online and to my, my limited knowledge of physical therapy, it, that made it mainly hands-on. So how will this change with your adapting your practice? So it's definitely been a big issue because up to this point, physical therapists as a whole were generally excited about the opportunity to perform telehealth and it was kind of forced upon the world with the whole COVID situation. So in order for the businesses to adapt and to just keep their employees working and continue seeing their patients, it almost forced their hand to start doing a little more telehealth, more as a survival mechanism for the business, more so than anything. Of course, it's also benefit to the patient as well, but you are correct in saying that we are a very hands-on profession. A lot of the relief and benefit that the patients do receive will and always will be from hands-on services performed in the clinic. Is telehealth here to stay? Which there's certainly an argument for that. There are its benefits and also some downsides as well. Uh, when I mentioned the downsides that you're not getting that hands-on care, you certainly can't assess and do everything in the same manner through a computer screen. But that does not mean that it's not a valuable service in and of itself and that there's not a whole portion of the population that wouldn't benefit from telehealth services. But there is concerns in the profession as a whole. No, and I, and I agree with you, because a lot of the dogs, so Keith, he's been doing surgeries for years, you know, working with spine doctors and stuff. So a lot of them, we hear a lot of their kind of, they want the telehealth, they know it's out there, but it's like, you know, they, they still need to have the patient in the office, I guess, right? It's just more so, but I feel like now with the COVID, all these things have been turning, right? Like Keith, look, he's on video calls now. And it, like you said, they're kind of being forced to do I don't know if you call them weird, but just different things, right? You get, taking that step out of our comfort zone. I can't even get a haircut, so I'm looking rough right now. You know, <laughs> so hair's out there. I haven't shaved, so I'm finally getting a haircut Saturday. So I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, <laughs> I hear that. Great time to have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. So. How how can like let's say if someone's going through, let's say if I was going through some type of recovery, needed to see a physical therapist. Well, I mean, I heard a statement before that the best physical therapist for any patient is their family member, right? Because they're with them 24-7, 365, and they, they have that motivational push to it, really to make sure that they're getting it done, right? Like, I'll probably go to physical therapy, go home and forget what I had to do while if I had a family member that knew what I was supposed to do, they would probably be more strenuous, more, more on me, like, hey, Marcus, you need to be doing that. So what, what are your thoughts on that as far as the family member being the best physical therapist for a patient outside of that office? Oh, well, that's always a tricky one, right? You know, because certainly having good support at home and good support with family and friends is, is always important with anything recovery-based. You know, having someone there to keep you accountable for the things that you ought to be doing, helping you with things that you're not supposed to be doing, right? The number one thing we see post-surgery is that a lot of people are doing too much, right? You know, my wife's also a physician's assistant in orthopedic surgery. And so I've seen a lot of patients, you know, from them and from other surgeons as well. And, and a lot of times it's the people that push too hard, too fast and typically hinder their recovery. But, but you're absolutely right. You know, as far as what family members can do, you know, I wouldn't go as far as saying like they're doing, they're being like their physical therapist at home per se, but definitely the support, you know, doing the things for them that they shouldn't be doing that aren't appropriate at that time keeping them accountable for the things that they are supposed to be doing, you know, just another set of eyes and ears to make sure that everything is well understood and well received. Because a lot of times when these assignments and things are given to patients of any age, you know, there's sometimes 
they might think that they understand, but then it might not be, they might need to hear from somebody else here to explain a few different ways before it really sets in. Is it common that they come in without a family member? And like, how common is that? They just come by themselves and no family members? And it's very, in what it's very cases common. Would you say, okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. What cases would you say, like, would you say that the patient that show up with a family member, what, what would you say your, your take is on that for the ones that show up alone to the ones that show up with a family member or a loved one? Sure. Uh, again, we, we don't have any quantitative uh, numbers to back this up. A lot of times the, when a patient shows up to therapy with a family member, it's typically because they are using some sort of mobility device, crutches, cane, something along those lines where they can't ambulate on their own without someone holding doors for them. Um, doing those like simple things, helping them get in and out of cars and stuff like that. Most times people will just come by themselves if they're, if they're ambulatory and they can walk on their own and they're not otherwise not supposed to be just kind of walking around, you know, they'll typically come by themselves. So that's not to say that they wouldn't benefit from family support or a family member being there either. And then we see a lot more of that in the, I guess, geriatric population. I don't even want to say like they probably don't consider themselves to be geriatric, but you know, 50, 60 plus year olds, couples will come in together because the uh, partner is interested. They want to know like, what's up? They want to know how they can help. They want to know what's wrong. So you do see that quite a bit, but you know, most people it's, it's outpatient physical therapy. So a lot of people will just show up to their initial appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear you. Yeah. Keith's geriatric. So don't worry. He meets that <laughs> deadline. <laughs> I'm getting close. Yeah. So, so this is really for me. So I'm trying to, you know, benefit from this as much as possible. So, so what, what are people's perceptions of physical therapy? I can go online and research it, but what, you know, from a, a layman's, you know, perspective is when they hear about physical therapy, I'm looking at it as pre-surgical or an, an, an assessment prior to surgery to say, hey, you're feeling better, you may not need surgery. But then I look at it at also the part of after surgery, you may need that additional assistance. So what is the perception of, or not the perception, but you know, what at a lay person, what is physical therapy? Sure. So again, I still like to think it, that physical therapy, as much as the profession has grown, there's still a whole lot of people that don't know what physical therapy is mm-hmm. until they absolutely need us. And we could be located on a busy street in the downtown area and people could walk by all day, barely notice that the business is there. Right. But then all of a sudden when, you know, something happens and, and it's just like, okay, what do I have to do for this? And then you're now directed to go to physical therapy. It's like, oh, okay. And again, it's still a pretty new emerging profession relative to other things. Right. So uh, like a lot of people still imagine that a chiropractor might be the first place that they go when they start to have aches and pains. And we hear that quite often, you know, like, oh, I'm seeing my, I've been seeing my chiropractor for years, but I'm just now deciding to give physical therapy a try. So those are not uncommon things that we'll hear all that often. I would say the general perception is, is good, but a lot of, there's not a ton of, ton of awareness yet in the general population. Senpai fitness, right? Let's talk about family fitness. And how, like, what, what, what Senpai Fitness does, and how, how being a physical therapist brought that about, that that journey about. So let's, if you don't mind, let's transition to what Senpai Fitness really is, and and how it, it can help our listeners, families in the Chicago area, and stuff like that. So Semper Fitness was essentially my way of saying always fit. You know, always being able to participate in the activities that you enjoy, whether it's just recreational sport or whether it's just walking around without pain 
you know, being able to do that over the long run is, is really important. And, you know, I don't think it's given quite enough attention. So Semper Fitness is online physical therapy and home exercise programs and general fitness strategies as well. For specifically for families, the way that Semper Fitness could benefit everyone is, you know, for example, a mother that stays at home with her kids. She can't necessarily even go to physical therapy. She might not have time. She might not have insurance if she's not working or some any number combination of things, reasons why. It just doesn't make sense for her to leave the house, to leave the children at home, to go to a physical therapy appointment. So a lot of times different people choose to not go to physical therapy, right? We've all had aches and pains and, you know, usually we find some solution or over the course of the natural history of that pain and dysfunction, things will sort of steady out and not be so problematic. But for a period of time, you know, those aches and pains can really affect your daily life. They can affect your your mood and your emotions and your stress levels and everything like that. Um, that's one of the reasons we see this major opioid crisis in the world. You know, I've done different surveys and things over time just to perform market research. And, you know, I asked people like, okay, like if you weren't able to go to receive physical therapy or something like physical therapy, what did you do? And I was kind of more or less going for like, what websites did you go to? You know, mm -hmm. where did you seek information? But I can't tell you how many times they just said ibuprofen, Advil, you know, just mm. going right to the pharmaceuticals. And to be fair, you know, as you, as you guys know, NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, they have a, a place in what we do. But what my concern is it goes from popping those till that no longer works. And then all of a sudden you're now taking pharm like stronger pain yeah. medication. And, you know, I could see how this problem slowly plays out over time. Um, so what was first just a way to kind of get my same services that I do in the clinic out to a larger audience, it became apparent to me that there was a much bigger problem at play that really needed to be addressed. Now, I, I work with a number of, of spine surgeons and not every patient that they see requires spine surgery. But for insurance, I believe they send their patients to a number of physical therapy sessions. And as they get better, is that a way that insurance can avoid the, is it a, basically a barrier to avoid the patient to get surgery? Because again, hey, they might say, hey, you may need to go through three to four physical therapy sessions and if you feel better, well, hey, you don't need surgery. Have you seen that? Prehab in preparation for surgery, of course, is a well-known thing that is commonly used. But even more importantly, is if we can somehow get in front of these people well before these degenerative changes have taken place. No doubt with genetics and things, some people are more apt to develop certain things, but for the most part, it's postural, it's positional, it's repetitive movement over time. That's over time causing a lot of wear and tear on these structures that ultimately leads to surgical intervention in some cases. If there's even a surgical intervention to be had, right? In not every situation, is there a surgical option to relieve all of their problems? And just because you had surgery doesn't mean you're 100% either, right? So there's a lot of ways for insurance companies to invest in businesses that are promoting products that are catching people early on when they're still having just aches and pains, telling them what they can do so that they don't have these aches and pains anymore. You won't see the immediate effect, right? You'll see the immediate effect in their aches and pains being gone. But, you know, ideally it will save days missing from work and surgery days and rehab days and days actually needing to go see a professional physical therapist 
or prescriptions or anything like that. There's tons of cost savings to be had. As uh, Marcus pointed out, I'm kind of the uh, the old guy. I'll share with him getting in and out of the car, my legs starting to hurt, my back is hurting. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm active. But, you know, my thing is, is how can we look at early intervention? My leg is hurting now, my back is hurting. How, how long should I continue to dismiss it before I take action? Because I, I get to look at it as, hey, I can live with this for a while, but then it gets to the yeah. point to where it's like, Man. That's a, that's a really good question, KP, and I can see you're very concerned about some of these aches and pains you're having. <laughs> that's a really good question. Well, I think you, in a way, you almost, we already know the answer. It's sort of just like other things that we don't want to do, right? So it's like, you know you're having problems that could lead to worse problems over, the, over time if they're overlooked. Essentially, if you knew like what stretches you ought to be doing, what strengthening exercises you ought to be doing to create stability, in key joints and you know positionally what you're doing throughout the day if you had that information specific to your symptoms right certainly we don't have time to be these perfect beings where we're doing every stretch every exercise everything every single week but if you knew let's say your knee was hurting and you knew exactly what specific exercises you had to do to prevent this from getting worse and those were given to you i think it would be much easier for people to get on board. The greatest benefit to you is, well, now you're doing the things you like to do free of pain or more free of pain because you can tell that it's bothering you. You can live with it, certainly, which is a lot, what a lot of people do. We live with it. But I don't think a lot of people know that you don't have to feel that way, right? You don't have to wait till it's much, much worse. You can do something about it now. So some of the programs that I'm proposing are larger group of people that never even make it through the doors of physical therapy. They just deal with it. They find other ways to uh, manage the pain. And they just assume that as they get older, that those symptoms are going to just get worse just because you're getting older. And that's what happens when you get older, but that is not always the case, right? But when should I ice a pain and when should I put heat on something? Sure. And another good question, KP. Man, you're coming with them today. <laughs> something just happened, pain just started and there's an active inflammatory process that's taking place, or you hit your knee and there's swelling and some heat there, then of course you wanna ice in order to reduce that inflammatory response. And then you continue to ice as often as you can in those early couple weeks as things start to calm down and the healing process starts to take place. And then if you so choose, I'm, I'm a big ice guy, so I, I always advocate for ice, even if it's not something that just immediately happened. Heat is really good at relaxing muscle tissue, increasing the blood flow to help the tissues heal a little bit faster. They're both good in their own way. I'll recommend people to heat as well in order to relax tight muscle tissues if it seems like that's what's causing most of their pain. So there are times where I've gone to cryotherapy and there are times where I go to sauna. Yeah. Which one would, either one that's better than the other or it doesn't depend on the situation? Hey, Jeremy's team ice, man. He's team ice and he stated, he stated <laughs> well, it loud and clear. Well, the sauna has additional benefits as well too, right? You know, you can detoxify, you can start to get a good sweat going. There's some, there's some additional benefits. Let's just say you are just a human being who has to get through a week's worth of activities, right? So mm -hmm. that cumulative effect of those activities, maybe you're just bending over and picking up a box at work you know, dozens of times a day throughout that week, that month, that year, 
there's a, there's some wear and tear on the tissues. There's some inflammatory response, breaking down of the tissues taking place. Now, if you're doing all this muscle activity, right, absent anything to make the muscles feel better, stretching, foam rolling, massage, anything that's like loosening up those tight muscle tissues, then over time, they just get tighter, tighter, tighter to, to the point of dysfunction, right? And now you've got impingement in the joints, you've got pain and inflammation. So essentially what cryotherapy is good for, or just even a good old fashioned ice pack, is it's gonna help reduce that inflammatory response in those heavily used muscles, right? And you might wanna ice those areas knowing that they get sore, right? You know, the body gives us a good signal when it's not too happy with what we're doing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. If, if anyone that's ever worked out, you have that really good, like I just got a great workout and I can feel that. So, you know, you'd even wanna ice at that point because you'd wanna reduce that inflammatory response and reduce the soreness that will take place between bouts of whatever activity it is that you're doing. Since COVID, everybody's been living in this house for their homes for the past three weeks. A lot of people I'm hearing saying, oh man, they're going to go see a chiropractor because they need an adjustment. Now, a lot of people are for that. And I'm just like, okay, I get the point, but what happens that one instance you go see a chiropractor and then everything falls to shit. So I hear a lot of the instances where chiropractic therapy is like absolutely necessary. As a physical therapist, what are your thoughts on that? It is helpful because over time, positionally or with repetitive movement, these joints, the bony articulations go out of alignment, right? Which can cause problems. You know, the muscles, you know, our body is very intelligent and adaptable, but the muscles really just want to pull about one joint or about one direction, right? They don't, they don't want this like very complicated role to play, right? So essentially, if the, the bony parts, the joints themselves are out of alignment, the pull is gonna be out of alignment and it's gonna cause pain and dysfunction. So yes, it's very important that if things are out of alignment, that they get put back in alignment. Now, the problem is, and what isn't addressed a lot, is that say you go see a chiropractor, they do an adjustment, you're like, wow, things feel better, right? You continue to do the same activity or you continue to sit or stand or do whatever in the same position over time. And then yoink, it's gonna pull it right back out of alignment because the muscles are being used more so on one side than the other. They're tighter on one side than the other. So there's that whole muscle action, which are pulling on the bones, right? You know, the, the muscles, tendons attached to the bone, they pull on that bone. So if you're just doing something repetitively, it's just gonna pull everything right back out of alignment over time. And in some cases it could be just like the day after you just got adjusted and, and then all of a sudden everything feels out of whack, which is why people feel like they have to go in for regular adjustments. Have you ever seen a chiropractor before Keith? Actually I have, I'm having pain in my rib cage area. And at the time I never thought about it. Somebody recommended that I go see a chiropractor. He had, you know, adjusted me and you know, I was feeling better. A couple of years later, I was just having real bad neck pain and I was very hesitant to go. You hear successes and you hear some stories where they're not successful. And sometimes depending on the treatment, some patients may have um, bad outcomes. I've seen a number of things and patients being paralyzed from the kind of thing. So I'm very hesitant, but I was referred to another chiropractor and I felt relief. It's, it's funny hearing those aches. It's funny when they, like, when they crack you, like, man, it's like, 
is much needed. You feel that immediate relief. So, and I have been to uh, physical therapy as well. I was in a car accident years ago. My physical therapist really helped me with some of the issues that I have. And, and that's some of the reasons why sometimes it beat me in basketball is because I did have a car accident prior to, but. All right. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Thanks for all the excuses. I appreciate that. So, but hey, so speaking about basketball, when you see an injury to like Kevin Durant, you're probably watching basketball and you hear these kind of things. How would you treat that kind of injury? The big difference is that that's their livelihood, right? Yeah. Where if I was out playing basketball and I blew out my ACL, I'd probably have to talk with myself about whether I had any business playing basketball after that. <laughs> and if it was if it was some if it was truly something I enjoyed and couldn't live without, then yes, I would make sure to do that the adequate amount of rehabilitation to get myself back to playing basketball safely. The consideration that's taken with professional athletes is how soon we can get them back safely, right? You know, it's it's more about like, okay, we've got a lot on the line. I mean, you know, maybe if it's mid-season playoffs approaching, you know, how can we get this player to suit up while also keeping in mind like how long it takes the the normal person. I mean, again, they're they're not exactly like normal people per se. You know, they're they're highly trained, highly fit individuals, and they have, in most cases, a lot of athletes have demonstrated that they do seem to recover a bit faster from these types of surgeries than you know the the average human. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with the the training facilities as well. And again, like I said, it you know. It's like knowing when and how to ice and heat and use the modalities as, as often and appropriately as possible. One thing that's not really talked about enough is diet and, and stuff like that, right? You know, we're so focused on the physical activity, the exercises, the home exercise programs. You know, no one really checks in to make sure that these people are getting an adequate amount of calcium, iron, protein that would that would ensure that bones heal as fast as they can. You know, are these people smoking, right? That's going to slow down the healing process. There's all these things that aren't always addressed that could affect post-surgical outcomes as well. I always wonder about that. You know, I see athletes getting injured, their Achilles or um, their ACL. Yeah. It's just how to get them back into the sport. Yeah, me too. I I mean, that's that's a major concern of mine, especially when you're in the fantasy league and you got (laughs) to... thing is that the orthopedic surgeons, trust me, they know when they come up with their post-op protocols, they know with specific types of injuries because they get in there, they take the MRI, they take x-rays, they know exactly what's going on with the tissue damage, and they know exactly how long it takes for someone to recover from that type of surgery, right? So when they're throwing out these timelines of when an athlete might be able to safely return to sport, it's based on all of this evidence clinic and research-based evidence that's been compiled over time in order to determine exactly long it takes before a, before like a graft is completely healed before a tissue or a tendon or reattachment is completely healed right so they know that if if anything if they go back too soon before that takes place it could be problematic and could completely undo the entire point of the surgery uh, right now i've been watching the uh the docuseries of michael jordan Oh yeah, it's, it's it's great. Marcus hasn't been able, you know, to see it. I think, you know, Jordan was drafted before Marcus was born, so Marcus is not a big fan of Michael Jordan. But I, I say that is because you know he had his injury early on. He knew his body, and so he went to North Carolina and started playing again. They gave him a ninety ten percentage. Have you seen it yet? 
Yes, yeah. And he was like, well, hey, if I'm going to, there's 90% chance that I won't risk it, then hey, I'll play again. But then there's a 10% risk of if you injured it, you're like done for the rest of your career. But I guess most athletes are probably like that. They feel like I want to get out there. I know my body. Let me just risk my 10% and we'll go from there. Absolutely. And it's a delicate balance, right? These are huge competitors, right? The best at what they do. And certainly it's fair to say that they know how they feel, right? When they're in physical therapy, when they're following up with orthopedic surgeons, even the, the top athletes, right? You know, they're still doing a lot of the same strength test. They're doing the same balance test. They're doing the same stress test to make sure that that individual's body is capable of handling the stress that that sport would uh, put on them. And but then, of course, as you also saw in the, in the last dance, you've got ownership and management and coaches and people who are, who do have to be concerned with the business. And so they sort of, you see this little overlap where, you know, the athlete gets a little bit of what they want. And in some cases management does as well. I'm sure there's money involved, but you know, also there is that risk, right? You know, so it's not just like a made up risk. The athletes tend to want to push themselves and come back to sport faster, which is totally understandable, but it's also it can be a risk. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jeremy, again, man, I just really, really wanted to take the time to thank you for being on the show. Um, for all the listeners out there, don't have to be in the Chicago area to join and, and look at learning more. Contact Jeremy at mysempirefitness.com. You can email him directly at info uh, sempirefitness support, support at mysempirefitness.com. At mysempirefitness.com. Thanks again. I'm, I'm glad that you are a med vet as well, right? Someone that was in the military transitioned into the healthcare. So thank you for that and all that you do. Hey, I do want to thank you for your service. Me being a veteran as well, you know, I do want to thank everybody that, you know, we have on our show and just really thank you guys for your service. So, Yeah, thank you. And thank you both for having me. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate your time. Right, thank you. Thank okay. you. Have, have a good one.